Good morning. I'm uh, Preston Pierce, one of the elders at ICP, and, and I'm uh, really privileged to be able to open God's Word for us this morning. Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll begin at verse 27 and read through verse 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of gathering together in this way, even virtually, uh, before your word, and we pray you would speak to our hearts now and help us to receive what you have for us uh, into our hearts and follow you more faithfully and love you more sincerely, trust you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're all familiar with waiting. At any given moment, we're waiting for something. Some of you watching are already waiting for me to conclude, and that's the beauty of online worship. All you have to do is close the window. But I hope you won't. hope you'll stick with us. Waiting is not so bad when the outcome is predictable, and it's something we look forward to. A bride and groom look forward to their wedding. Parents look forward to or await eagerly the birth of a child. Children wait eagerly for Christmas. I remember as a child being so eager for television programs that would be broadcast only once a year. Now these were the days before there was streaming, before there were DVDs, before there were VCRs, before there was cable TV. In fact, we only got three channels. We had just black and white television, and we had no remote control. Now that last part has nothing to do with waiting. I just wanted you to know that, yes, I am really that old. Now, waiting is one of the most important disciplines that we have as Christians. The ultimate happy outcome for which we wait is the return of our Lord Jesus. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 that we wait for the return of our Savior Jesus, who will transform our lowly bodies into conformity with His glorious body. We look forward to that. Our day of instant everything makes waiting difficult. We have microwave ovens. We have express delivery. We have information instantly at our fingertips. We groan in despair when a web page takes a couple of seconds to load. But waiting is the most difficult when the outcome is unpredictable and the timing is uncertain and there is little or nothing we can do. Imagine waiting for a medical diagnosis or a legal verdict or the reconciliation of a broken relationship. <clears throat> the outcome is uncertain, there's nothing you can do, and you feel helpless, I understand. We go into sort of waiting mode when we have in our minds a desired outcome that's different from the, the way things are at present, and we have little or no control over the outcome, and we don't even know maybe what the outcome will be, and it's certainly not guaranteed. The pandemic has put all of us into a waiting mode of sorts. I see the closed shops around the city, and I, I ache for those who are facing the challenges of loss of income, loss of job, separation from family. I see it on people's faces as I'm out in the city. When will it end? And the fact is there are just a lot of uncertainties about that. And we have 
little control, there's little we can do. The people to whom Isaiah prophesied were in a similar situation. They were hearing prophecies of major historical movements, that they would be exiled uh, from their homeland, but then later restored to their land. But they didn't know precisely when those events would take place. They were also facing more immediate threats from their nearer neighbors, from their enemies, and even more immediate circumstances put them in waiting mode, and they questioned God. And as we see many times in Scripture, when people question God, he tends to have a question of his own. And we see this also in verse 27 in our passage for today. He says, Why do you say, Jacob, and do you assert, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? From this question, we can observe a couple of things about waiting. First, as time goes on, we begin to think God has forgotten or abandoned us. We might not say it out loud, but... It's there. We think it. If you feel like that, let me just say you are in good company. Psalm 13 and verse 1 says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? You ever start off your morning prayer time like that? Few of us do. Most of us don't. We tend to try to impress God with how, how godly we are and how spiritual we are. I hope you have some plan for reading the Bible through in a year and as you do that, and as you go through the Psalms especially, let me encourage you to notice two things. One is the refreshing honesty that we find in the Psalms, like this in Psalm 13, but also the movement from the, the complaint or the struggle to a resolution in the heart of the psalmist. We see this also in, verse, in Psalm 13. At the end of Psalm 13, where he started out saying, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? At the end he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's a great example of what we're talking about and of what Isaiah is talking about, what the Lord is challenging us to do as well, is moving from the, in that period of waiting for resolution, now we choose to trust and put our hope in the Lord. A second thing about waiting that we observe from God's question in verse 27 is that we tend to think that, that God is not going to do right by us. In verse 27, it says, The justice due to me escapes the notice of my God. To put it another way, we think we're being wronged by our circumstances, and God doesn't care. If he cared, he'd change things. And again, we don't say this out loud, but it, it's there in our hearts, and he knows it. Often the reason that waiting is such a challenge is that we are fighting with God for control. We want things a certain way. But he's made no promise that it will turn out like we want. I've had to confess to the Lord more than once, Lord, I have trouble trusting you in this situation because I don't think you're going to handle it like I want you to. Just saying it out loud makes me realize how ridiculous that attitude is. So God then answers his question, sort of with another question, but continues. But it's not by promising an outcome to pacify us, that is promising this is going to end just like you want it to. But he does this first by reminding us of who he is. And this is crucial because when we're in waiting mode, our greatest need is, is not for us to get our way. Our greatest need is for us not just to wait, but to wait for him. Something very similar happens at the end of the book of Job. The Lord didn't explain to Job why he had suffered all that he had suffered. He just revealed himself to Job, and it was enough. We need the Lord himself more than we need solutions and answers and temporary outcomes. So the Lord continues in verses 28 and 29. He says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? 
The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is unsearchable. So let's look at what that verse tells us about who the Lord is. He is the everlasting God. We'll, we'll come back to this because I want us to spend more time on it. But it also says he's the creator of the ends of the earth. That is because he's the creator of everything, he rules over everything. He's in control of everything. He, he is ultimate in all of these situations. He does not grow weary. He does not lack the energy or the concern to care for us and sustain us and help us through difficult times. He says in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, that underneath are the everlasting arms. He holds us. It's as if he is holding us and never grows weary. It's a, it's a beautiful picture of, of how tender and how, how gracious the Lord is to us. His understanding no one can fathom. That is, it's infinite. He knows exactly what is right in every situation, and he will do that. He knows far better than we do. We can trust him. He probably won't do exactly what we want, but God wants for us what we would want for ourselves if we weren't so self-absorbed. He's, he's good, and he can, he can be trusted. Now let's come back to the earlier statement in verse 28, where it says that God is the everlasting God. And this Understanding God as the everlasting God will help us understand a bit of why we wait. Last week, Drew mentioned some of the attributes of God, and he said that some of those we can imitate, like love and mercy. Others, we can't. And one of those attributes we can't really imitate is God's eternality. That is, that he is everlasting. He has always existed as God, without beginning and without end. So because God is everlasting, his relationship to time is different from ours. We're told that to him, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The everlasting God is never distracted. He's never too busy to hear our prayer or to act for our good. You'll never pray and hear a voice from heaven saying, I'm sorry, due to increasing prayer volume, I'm unable to listen to your prayer at this moment. Your prayer is important to me, and I'll get to it in the order in which it was received. Or you may try again later. You'll never hear that. Our everlasting God can hear millions of voices at every moment in thousands of languages, in hundreds of countries, some praying, some blessing, some cursing, some screaming, some whispering. He hears them all, and he's 100% engaged with every one of them all the time. The everlasting God is always accessible to us. Over 25 years ago, we were living in Cluj, in Romania. We wanted to mail a package to our family in the U.S. I went to the post office, and the first thing I learned was that the post office, that is the office for sending packages abroad, was open on the first and third Thursdays of the month from 8.30 to 11.30. So I went back the next time it was open. The line extended out the door of, of the office, I was just outside the door at 11.30, and a worker came, closed the door in my face. I went back two weeks later, and the office was closed. I asked someone why, and they said, look at the sign. It's open the first and third Thursdays. I looked confused, and they said, today is a, a fifth Thursday. There's five Thursdays in this month. So I went back a week. They said, come back next week. Well, I did get the package mailed. It took several weeks. That's another story. But I'm so glad that our everlasting God is always accessible to us, that he doesn't have office hours, that his ears are always open to our cries. Now, because he's the everlasting God, the future is more real and more clear to him 
than the present is to us. And so we can trust him when our, our moment is uncertain, when outcomes are uncertain, when we don't know the best way, we don't know what to expect, there's nothing we can do, we can trust him. And because he's everlasting, his use of time is different from ours. John chapter 9 tells a story of a man who had been born blind through no, the fault of no one. Jesus said it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then he healed him. The man was blind for years. Now he sees. He does not feel cheated. That's hard for us to grasp. We wonder how God can leave a person for years in this condition and heal him when he could heal him in an instant. And yet, we can trust God's timing. This story helps us know we can trust God's timing about things. He's, he's good and we can trust him. Now, because God is everlasting, he offers everlasting life to us. Life is short, but eternity is long. As Psalm 136 tells us over and over, his love endures forever. His right hand is full of eternal pleasures. What a joy it will be to experience that together forever and ever without end. You also need to know that just as there is everlasting life, there is also everlasting death. We do not cease to exist when we die physically. Everyone will rise again to spend eternity either alive in fellowship with Jesus or in spiritual death estranged from him. And you may be thinking, if death could mean I'm, I finally get away from God, I'd be happy. You could not be more wrong. Death will bring you face to face with the inescapable reality of all that God is. And there is no place he is not fully present. And you'll be unable to get away from him, unable to reconcile with him forever. That very thought should terrify you and move you to seek mercy from Jesus. One more thing to note about the everlasting God. He doesn't wait. Now this whole sermon today is about us waiting. God doesn't wait. It's true he waits in the sense that he's patient, self-imposed. He doesn't pour out his wrath, but he gives us opportunity to turn to him. There's mystery here to be sure. But God is the everlasting God. He doesn't wait in the sense that outcomes are beyond his control or that he is helpless, that things are uncertain or beyond his control. So God doesn't wait. Now let's look at the promise that's in verse 31. It says, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. The promise is that we will gain new strength as we hope in him. Now notice this is not the shallow promise of the prosperity gospel, that if you have enough faith, you'll have control of your situation. Any sense that we have control is an illusion. The promise is the strength to keep following Jesus a day at a time, joyfully in the midst of sorrow, at peace in the midst of chaos, content in times of loss, because what we gain in the Lord far outweighs anything else that we might lose. The strength is supernatural. It is in contrast to what we see in verse 30 where youths grow weary and tired, vigorous young men stumble. It is those who have natural strength, the strong of our day and our generation, their strength fails. There is a strength that comes to those who in fact are, are maybe naturally weak that comes from the Lord. And he says, uh, again, in verse 31, the, the promise continues, we will mount up with wings like eagles. The winds that would uproot trees 
are the very support for the majestic flight of the eagle. That is, the, the circumstances that could destroy anyone's life serve to be just a means of, of God leading us deeper into life. It, what would destroy anyone else becomes life-giving in the hand of God and by the grace of God. This promise is for those who wait for the Lord. So what does that mean, to wait for the Lord? <coughs> well, of course, it means more than just waiting. It means more than just enduring to the end. It's, it's waiting on the Lord. It's, a, it's a, a focus on Him. The word translated wait is often translated hope. Some of the translations of this passage, in fact, if, if you're reading along, you'll see that where I said wait, it says hope. Um, because the two ideas are inseparable. You, you wait because you have hope. Hope. You have hope about the future. You have a hope in the Lord that allows you to endure faithfully and joyfully the circumstances in the present, even though they're beyond our control. So when things are beyond our control, outcomes are uncertain, our primary attitude has to be a focus on the Lord and a trust in Him, a saying, I do not need to be in control. He is the everlasting God. He's not asleep. He's not distracted. He is at work. He'll probably take longer than we expect. He'll resolve our situation in a way that's different than what we expect, but we choose to put our hope in him and give up control. And we have to fight for this, this, this posture, this attitude in our hearts. At least I do. Now you may think, but I'm so weak and I'm so worn out with this particular situation. You need to know that you are exactly the one for whom this promise is, is written. Because he says in verse 29, he gives strength to the weary. To the one who lacks strength, he gives power. So don't despair if you feel weak and weary and worn out and like you cannot go on this morning because God promises new strength for you as you hope in him. So waiting on the Lord means intentionally letting go of our need to control. It means trusting him with the situation, with the timing, with steps to take, with the outcome, that he is worth more than anything else. It is putting him first. It's reminding ourselves that he is the everlasting God. He knows the future. He is good. He is sovereign. He is for us. And he can be trusted with the situation and with the timing. I'll add that waiting for the Lord doesn't mean we're completely inactive. We often think of, of waiting as like sitting in a waiting room and there's nothing we can do but sit there. But that's, that's not waiting on the Lord. There are things we can do sometimes. For example, it's not a lack of faith to seek medical treatment if, if you're sick. You can wait on the Lord. You might be waiting for medicine to take effect, and that's okay. I often pray, as I pray with people who are sick, as they wait, as, as this person waits for medicine to take effect, we pray you and God would speak to their hearts, draw them close, that sort of thing. So we wait for the Lord. We hope in Him because He is worth it. There is a future ahead of us that is so glorious, so good, so satisfying that it will be worth every loss and every disappointment and every setback and every heartache. Because he is the everlasting God. He is worthy of our hope, our love, and our faith. You may be watching this today and you feel that you are a stranger to pretty much everything I've been talking about. You may wonder if there is hope. Well, let me tell you there is. Jesus died and rose again to offer you forgiveness and freedom and life as a gift in his name, free. 
If you have questions about this, I urge you to contact our, our church office. Contact information is available here. Uh, and we'll be happy to try to walk with you uh, through your relationship with the Lord and help you understand what that means. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time we've had with your word. We pray that you would bless it. You would seal into our hearts what is true and good and right and, and the, the chaff you can just blow away. We thank you again for who you are, that you are without beginning and end. You are the everlasting God, never distracted, always accessible. You know the future. You know what you're doing. And you are in control. And we confess to you our desire for control. And now in this moment, we ask you for the help and grace to, to relinquish our, our desire for control to you, to trust you in situations that we might experience the things that you've promised, uh, wisdom in confusing times and, and contentment in times of loss, uh, peace in the midst of chaos, joy in the midst of disappointment, because you are our greatest joy. Our life is wrapped up in you and in your life. We look forward to seeing you and being with you forever. We pray you would bless these things, bless these truths in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.